everybody. Welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I am so glad that you decided to join me today. This is going to be a, uh, an extension, uh, a continuation of our series, our overall series titled, Who is the Holy Spirit? And we are actually into part 11. And we are going to continue on with this particular topic within that main theme uh, the fruit of the Spirit. So last week we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, part one, where we talked about those nine fruits, those nine f- attitudes of that fruit. Uh, so it's just the fruit of it. They're not all considered nine fruits. They're all they're nine attitudes within the one fruit uh, that we've talked about last week. I'll read you the scripture verses again if you're not uh, up with that. But uh, this is going to be the fruit of the Spirit, part two. The Fruit of the Spirit, Part 2. Last week, we talked about the first two, love and joy. And you definitely need to go back and listen to that if you have not heard that yet. Uh, It's very powerful, challenging, and convicting when you talk on the subject of what real love is. And that we all have the ability within us to pull out that love that's unconditional and that is sacrificial. And we're, we all have the ability to pull out that joy. Joy is something that we have as believers available to us, uh, even in the most um, desperate situation. Uh, we can pull joy out. It's not happy. Not the same as being happy because you bought a new car. Joy is that uh, unshakable, unconquer, unconquerable ability to uh, to f- again find joy in the midst of very difficult circumstances. So that's the joy of the Lord. And the Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we're going to read in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read what we read last week, chapter 5 in Galatians, verses 16 through 24. And we're going to see Paul begin to show this difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to be talking about uh, the next six or five uh, attitudes. We'll get to those, and we'll have a couple more for next week to finish out the series. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Amen. And one of the things that I enjoy about this, I, I, I'm an evangelist. I, I have a that uh, spiritual office of the evangelist. I uh, That gift operates in me uh, in the most uh, crazy situations. Man, the Holy Spirit will anoint me to bring forth the gospel. But part of that, I believe, as an evangelist, I also have this desire to disciple people, and that's where the teaching aspect comes, where I like to sit down and talk to people about the Word of God, because I want to see people say, but I also want to see people live all out for God. Those who know Christ, I want to see them live all out for Him. And so that's why I do these sermons. That's, that's where this desire comes from, is that I want to see you... Um, grow in your faith, and live out your relationship with Christ like never before. Amen. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24, the apostle Paul wrote these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. He said, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So I said this last week, if somebody comes in for counseling to me, I just say, I'd ask them three things, or I'd ask them two things. Do you pray every day? Are you in the word every day? And then I would say, let me read this verse to you. Uh, walk by the Spirit, you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. Because if we walk by the Spirit, we won't do some of the stupid things that we do that are in the flesh. Verse 17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, 
so that you may not do the things that you please. So we got a battle going on here between spirit and flesh. Verse 18, but if you were led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. He's going to list these, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. These are all sexual things. Verse 20, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy. So let's go back to sorcery. I don't know why I need to say this. You should be looking and going by horoscopes or going to fortune tellers or palm readers. That's sorcery. So idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy is a big one. Outbursts of anger is another one. Disputes, uh, fighting amongst the brethren, dissensions, factions, again, same thing, divisions in the body, verse 21, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, he's talked about it in the past with them, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's saying, if you do these things, if this is what you do, you do these things on a consistent basis without any thought about it being sin or any regret or any guilt over that, you may look, need to look at your life and see, am I really in Christ? Because he says, that's what he means by, if you practice such things, you will not, it means you're not going to go to heaven. So if you practice them, you must not be saved. And if you're not saved, you're not going to go to heaven. So Look at your life. And then he comes into verse 22 and switches it and uses that contrasting word, but. He says, verse 22. So you just got done listing the deeds of the flesh. And he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And lastly, in verse 24, now those who belong to Christ, Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if you belong to Christ, the flesh has been crucified. You have the ability to have victory over that and have the ability now to walk in the fruit of the Spirit, right? So as we go through these, uh, this is going to be, it's challenging. Um, and it can be convicting because when we look at our lives, we ask ourselves, am I doing this? I'm not saying that, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying, but we all should be operating in these fruits and these attitudes of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, a life lived in the spirit, lived in the spirit, produces this fruit attitudes of Galatians 5. This is where that, how that comes to pass in our lives. We live by the spirit. All right. So we covered love and joy last week. And today we start with peace. Peace. The Greek word is Irene. E-I-R-E-N-E. -E, Irene in the Greek. It means to join or bind together that which has been separated. Literally, it pictures the binding or joining together again of that which had been separated or divided and thus setting at one again a meaning conveyed by the common expression of having it all together. Peace. It follows that peace, then, is the opposite of division or dissension. It's a binding together. It's bringing everything together. Again, the opposite of division or dissension. Stay with me. I want you to really hear these. Peace is the opposite, obviously, of war. Peace was used as a greeting or farewell corresponding to the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace to you. The ultimate peace is the state of reconciliation with God, which I preached a while ago in our salvation and healing series. Um, we have 
we were initially without Christ, we are unsaved, and we are, the Bible clearly tells us, we are enemies of God. When we come to saving faith in Christ, we are now reconciled because of what Christ did for us. We are now reconciled to God the Father. That's what we would call, I now have peace with God. And that's affected by us placing our faith in the gospel. Um, in eschatology, peace is prophesied to be an essential characteristic of the Messianic kingdom, Acts 10.36. So we now have peace with God as believers because we've been justified by our faith. Amen. But this is not the peace that Paul is talking about. He's not talking about peace with God. He's talking about the peace of God that is in us as believers, that attitude fruit of peace. Remember, when we get saved... The Holy Spirit comes to live and reside in us, and he brings with him the fruit of the Spirit. So everybody listening to this right now who calls themselves a believer has the fruit of the Spirit in them. You have this peace of God available to you to grab a hold of no matter what's going on. And I, I really relate this to the world of the nation that we live in now and all this um, chaos uh, and all this stuff that is happening that is so anti-God and anti-Christianity and anti-Bible. Uh, sometimes people let it steal their peace. We need to be living through this in peace. Peace. We, we grab a hold of that peace, that... Um, that peace of God in our heart, that is called the tranquility of our mind that's based on our conscious understanding that we are in a right relationship to God. Amen. So peace as a fruit of the Spirit is a condition of freedom. We're free from disturbance. Somebody say amen to that. Whether that disturbance is outwardly as, as of a nation uh, uh, from war or what's going on now or our enemies or inwardly, as in the current context within us personally, within the soul. So we have peace, a condition of freedom from disturbance. Our individually, our lives should not be, we should be free from disturbance. And we have that ability because we have the peace of God that is available to us. Peace implies health, well-being, and prosperity. Woo! When the Spirit bears the fruit of peace in a believer, it brings an inner tranquility of soul and spirit, even in the midst of adversity. I always say we need to have calm in the chaos. We need to have peace in the chaos. We need to be living, no matter what you look at and see on the news, you have an ability to have the freedom from any disturbance of your soul of your life. You need to have peace. You can walk in peace, man and woman of God out there. You can walk in peace. John 14, 27, Jesus addressed his disciples before he went to the cross. He promised this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Woo, right before he went to the cross, he said that. In John 16, 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, 
I have overcome the world. We have peace. If nothing else, we are the peace of God knowing that we're on the winning team. We are on the team that is going to be ultimately victorious at the end of all this. But even besides that, we have the ability to have the peace of God in our hearts and for that peace to rise up within us and not always have us, we don't need to be down and uh, you know discouraged and distraught about all this stuff. Have peace, man. Just walk in the peace of God. Walk by the Spirit and you will be a man or woman of peace. This peace that the Lord gives us, it transcends our human understanding. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, he said this. He said, be anxious. In other words, stop worrying. Stop having an attitude of worry. He says, be, be anxious for nothing. Don't have an attitude of worry. But in everything, he says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known. And that's a present imperative in the Greek. That means continually let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So we should be people... And, 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 I, and, I, and what he's saying here is that this is going to uh, blow your mind, so to speak. This is, be, this is going to be beyond your human comprehension, that you're able to live with a sense of peace in your life when um, everything around you is crazy. You, man of God, have peace. You, woman of God, have peace in your life. Um, wow, tranquility. Um no stress, no unpleasant disturbances. That's where we get this word in the Greek, Irene, is the root English word serene. So it conveys the idea of that which is clear and free of storms. Free and clear of storms. Peace. Again, peace contrasts with strife and thus denotes the absence or end of strife. That's why he wants peace among the brethren, peace in the body of Christ. That's why it is a sinful thing it's, it's a, to get into dissension and divisions and strife with other people within the body. Peace in the Hebrew. Um, the word shalom, it, mean, it, it has to do, implies health, wholeness, soundness, welfare, uh, well-being, prosperity, and peace as again, as opposed to war. Irene is used in the famous in the famous Arianic blessing. Jehovah lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Peace floods the soul when Christ rules the heart. Peace floods the soul when Christ rules the heart. In his first epistle, Peter prayed for his afflicted readers. Uh, in 1 Peter 1 2, he said, May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. In other words, be abounding, be multiplied, be increased to great extent in your lives. May grace and peace be yours in its fullest measure. Peter is asking God to multiply the personal, internal sense of calm and serenity. In other words, the peace of God. So as believers, you and I, as we yield more and more to the control of the Spirit, His peace will be multiplied in answer to that prayer. Have peace. Man, calm down, have peace. Amen. Next, we come to, who is a good one for everybody, patience. Whew, that just went through you right now, didn't it? Patience. The Greek word is makrothumia. 
macrothumia, and it literally means long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. A long holding out of the mind before it gives room to action or passion. It describes a state of emotional calm or quietness. This is great. In the face of provocation, misfortune, or unfavorable circumstances. <laughs> We're supposed to be patient. Um, there's some stuff in here that hit me. When a believer is walking in the Spirit, it all comes back down to that. We got to be walking in the Spirit and we're not fulfilling the desires of the flesh. We, he or she, we are empowered with this inner supernatural steadfastness, even in the face of being provoked. Even in the face of being provoked. We are patient. Um, the long fuse is a Christ-like attitude. Let me tell you something, a sign of a real man is someone that can keep his, and we'll get to self-control at the very end, but someone who can be patient even uh, in the midst of being provoked, that is a godly quality. That is a Christ-like quality. Jesus said in 1 Peter 2, 3, get this, Jesus said, in spite of being reviled, do not revile in return. While suffering, he says, utter no threats. He uttered no threats when he was suffering. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So remember, they were insulting him on the cross. He did not insult them back. Uh, the, the, the Spirit, again, will enable us to walk in Christ's steps. We cannot manifest this attitude in our own strength, but we have to submit and yield to the Spirit of God. You have to live a life in the spirit and we live a life in the spirit when we're submitting and yielding to the holy spirit in our lives on a daily basis macrothumia in the greek is the capacity to be wronged again and then not retaliate it enables us to bear injury without at once avenging ourselves it is the ability to hold one's feelings in restraint or bear up under the oversights and wrongs afflicted by others without retaliating. Wow. There'd be a lot less people in prison today if people could live like that, amen. Uh, there'd be a lot less Christians who are living in lot with lives of strife and dissension and dysfunction if they could live their lives this way. And you as believers have the ability to do this. Let me read that again. That's powerful. It is the ability to hold one's feeling and restraint or bear up under the oversights and wrongs afflicted by others without, without retaliating. Patience is the spirit which never gives up for it endures to the end even in times of adversity, exhibiting self-restraint such that it does not hastily retaliate a wrong. Are you getting the theme here? So then this is the opposite of anger. Patience is the opposite of anger. One Bible commentator, in explaining the meaning of the Greek word, he says, as the Greeks used it, usually it meant patience with people, right? It is the ability not to lose patience. Here we go. When people are foolish, not to grow irritable when they seem unteachable. It is the ability to accept the folly the perversity, the blindness, the ingratitude of men, 
and still to remain gracious and still to toil on. That hit me. It's not to grow irritable when they seem unteachable. Not to lose patience when they are foolish. This is a great explanation for a pastor. Any of you out there who know a pastor or you are a pastor, this is how you, this is how you got you to grab a hold of that patience because the sheep can be foolish and the sheep can seem many times that they are unteachable. We have to, you have to be willing to accept the folly, the perversity, the blindness, and the ingratitude of people in the church, but still remain gracious and still toil on. Whew. Uh, macrothumia, that Greek word, is the spirit which bears insult with and injury, insult and injury, without bitterness and without complaint. It is a spirit which can suffer unpleasant people with graciousness and fools without irritation. Um, and the years that I led a flock of people I will be honest with you, was never so amazed at how people can act who go to church. Um, they're in gratitude many times, the folly, the, it seems like they just don't want to learn. Um, they can be unpleasant. They can be ungracious. And I'm supposed to, you're supposed to deal with these if you're someone that leads a flock um, without irritation. And sometimes that's hard to do. That's why pastors out there need prayer, because they got to deal with people. Patience in this sense, of course, is preeminently a characteristic of God. God who is long-suffering with his rebellious creatures. How patient was he with you? Amen. He is the loving Lord who in the face of obstinate infidelity on your part, and repeated rejection still says of his people in Hosea 11.8, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? Paul's point here is super duper clear. If God has been so long-suffering with us, should we not display this same long-suffering or patience with the people in our lives? Amen. That's powerful stuff. You need to go over that one again and again. Then we come to the next one is kindness. To all you husbands out there. Kindness, well, patience too, and uh, um, peace. Your home, as a man of God, you should have peace in your home. You should bring peace into your home. You should be patient with your wife. And here we come to kindness. Kindness, Greek word krestotes, is a gracious attitude and thus describes the quality of being helpful and beneficial. Kindness is an attribute of God and a godly trait which the Spirit again produces in the surrendered spirit. The surrendered saint. We have to be people who are yielding and surrendering ourselves to the Spirit. He then can operate in our lives and we will begin to see ourselves operate in all these in peace and patience and in kindness and love and joy if we are walking in the spirit and not the flesh. Amen. Paul writes to the Colossian saints regarding their new Christ-like garment they're wearing now that they've been saved. He commanded them, 
those who have been chosen of God, whoa, chosen of God, holy and beloved. He says, put on, that's a command, put on a heart of compassion, kindness. There's your Greek word, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's Colossians 3.12. Crestotes, that Greek word is opposed to a harsh, crabbed, crooked temper. I mean, we're not supposed to be crabby. We're supposed to be people who are kind. Your words are kind. Your reactions are kind. It's a disposition to be pleased. It is mildness of temper, calmness of spirit, an unruffled disposition, and a disposition to treat all with civility and politeness. Can you see that all these, even the ones we've covered so far, they all are all about Jesus. He is the fruit. He has all these to the nth degree, and we're supposed to be doing the same thing. We are, we are um, fallible people, and we make mistakes, but we, we have the ability to live this way. Um, Jesus taught that we are to love our enemies, Luke 6.35. We're supposed to uh, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And our reward then will be great, and we will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Wow. Kindness reflects the tender concern of God, providing for the helpless, hapless man what he could never have provided for himself. Think about how kind God has been to you. In his kindness, he made a way for you to be able to have relationship with him. Um, John MacArthur, in his Bible commentator, said this, kindness connotes genuine goodness and generosity of heart. Is that you? Our salvation from sin and lostness and death issued wholly from God's kindness, his loving, benevolent, and entirely gracious concern to draw us to himself and redeem us from sin forever. Wow. Kindness is divine kindness out of which God acts towards men but do you act like that toward others? It's what the Old Testament means when it declares God is good. God is good. God is kind. The Christian is to show kindness by behaving towards others as God has behaved toward you. Are you living as a man or woman of peace? Are you living as a man or woman of patience? And are you living as a man or woman who is kind with other people? If, you not, if you're not, you need to grab a hold of that and begin to operate in the spirit and let that kindness, let that kindness show forth from your life. You want to be a great witness to someone? Live the fruit. Walk in the spirit. If you walk in the spirit and you submit yourself and yield to the spirit, these things will just come out of you. Amen. The next one is goodness. Greek word agathosune. It describes active goodness, virtue, excellence, or benevolence. Agathosune finds its fullest and highest expression in that which is willingly and sacrificially done for others. Have you lived your life that way before other people? A life of goodness? Is that fruit seen in your life? It describes a positive moral quality characterized especially by interest by interest in the welfare of others 
Someone who operates in kindness is concerned about the welfare of other people. Um, selfishness is the opposite of, good, of goodness. You're just concerned about yourself. Yeah, we can all be a little bit selfish, but we're supposed to be concerned about the welfare of other people. Jesus sure was concerned about your welfare. Um, Agathosuni, that Greek word means it's the generosity which springs from the heart that is kind and will always take care to obtain for others that which is useful or beneficial. Wow. Um, it's moral goodness found only, this is only found in believers and only as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit and only in those who will truly submit to him. Again, it all comes back down to that main theme. If you walk in the Spirit and don't manifest the works or the deeds of the flesh, you live by the Spirit, you live in the Spirit, you live and walk through your day in the Spirit, these attitude fruits will come out of your life. You will begin to see yourself in operating in goodness towards other people. Um, Spurgeon said goodness that other people can see and admire. Goodness in someone's life is something that to be admired. It's something that people will recognize in you. Goodness. Uh, you care about others and what they're dealing with and you try to do what you can to help them help that need be met. Um, Jesus showed this kind of of goodness when he cleansed the temple, believe it or not, and drove out those who were making it a bazaar, right? But he showed kindness, our previous word, when he was kind to the sinning woman who anointed his feet with oil. So Jesus operated in, obviously, he operated in all these. The Christian needs that goodness, which at one and the same time can be strong and can be kind. Goodness. Are you living your life in goodness? Do you show people that they see in you a goodness? Christ-like goodness. It's powerful. And lastly for today, we come to faithfulness. I love this one. Faithfulness. It's a Greek word, pistis. As used in scripture, it usually refers to one's belief or faith in God. Faithfulness, right? Um, in the present context, though, it's used differently. It's a fruit of the Spirit here. In the present context, as the fruit, as part of the fruit of the Spirit, um, this Greek word pistis or faithfulness, it takes on a different meaning. It, it, it takes on the meaning of, of a person whom others can rely on. In other words, they are a dependable person. Ooh, yes, a dependable person, even at your workplace. Wow, the fruit this fruit in man is predicated on the truth about God because God is faithful. We've seen his faith. He's faithful to us. He's dependable. We can always count on God to be on time, to go to the nth degree for us, to, to work out every problem that we have. God is dependable. He's faithful in that sense. So then when a believer manifests this trait in his interpersonal relationships, he or she is becoming a partaker of the divine nature, like Paul would say, acting in godliness or God-likeness. Wow, faithfulness. You are someone who is dependable, someone upon who others can rely on. Wow, that's a great attribute. If you think about all the areas of your life, um, 
if you're married and you think about your spouse, can they rely on you? Are you dependable? Can they look at you and know that you are dependable? When you go to work, does your boss, do the people around you know you as a dependable person, someone they can rely on? It's one of the greatest ways to open up a door to evangelism at your workplace is, be, is to be that guy or to be that woman who that, whether it's a secular job or not, you do it all to the best of your ability, you do it all for the glory of God, and you do it in a way where people see that you are dependable, you're someone they can rely on. Um, in a word, this component of the fruit of the Spirit describes, here we go, one's trustworthiness, loyalty, reliability, adherence, constancy, dependability, and devotedness. Do they see that in your home in regards to your life and the way you live? Do they see that at your workplace in regards to the way you live every day? Do people see this in whatever you do, whatever aspect of life, whatever you, you know, in your recreation thing, whatever you do, do people recognize you as someone who's loyal? Do people recognize you as someone who is trustworthy? Um, constant, right? You're always there. You're dependable, man. You, you are devoted. Wow. What a great, what a great attitude of the fruit. Wow. The person with this quality keeps his word, his promises, and his vowels. That's V-O-W-S to all you married people. You keep your vows. You're trustworthy. You are loyal. You are dependable. You're devoted. Are you, as a husband or wife, are you, do you live a faithful life in front of your spouse? Do you um, keep your word? Do you keep your promises? Do you keep your vows? Remember, for those of you who've been married, uh, you made a vow to your wife. And you, wife, you made a vow to your husband. And for better or worse, man, you're in this till the end. Uh, listen, people cheat on other e each other all the time in marriages, even in the church. They think the grass is greener on the other side, and it's not. It's astroturf. Um, and you end up ruining and hindering and bothering and messing up a lot of lives by your lack of faithfulness, your lack of devotedness, your lack of reliability, your lack of trustworthiness. To be trustworthy is a great attribute um, for us as men and women of God to walk in. The person with this quality of faithfulness keeps his word. He keeps his promises. He keeps his vows. Jesus castigated the Pharisees for their lack of this attribute. In Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness, here we go, but these, you, you, you are neglecting these things. You, you think you're being all good because you tithe a little bit here and there, but you're neglecting the weightier provisions, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things, he says, you should have done without neglecting others. Only the Spirit of God can produce this quality of loyalty, no matter the cost. Only the Holy Spirit. So I hate to go back to this, but people who end up having infidelity in their marriages, they are walking in the flesh. 
and they are then producing the deeds of the flesh, sensuality, sexual immorality, like we listed, read a little bit earlier. And this quality of loyalty is not being used in their life because they are not walking in the Spirit. You have to walk in the Spirit to produce these. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit this is in us. This is available to us. This is available to us to operate in at all times. Faithfulness equals punctuality in performing promises. Conscientiousness, carefulness in preserving what is committed to our trust, in restoring it to its proper owner, in transacting the business confided, confided to us, neither betraying the secret of our friend nor disappointing the confidence of our employer. Be a faithful worker. And if you're the boss, be a faithful boss. Be loyal to your people. Treat them right. Treat them with dignity and treat them with respect. We wouldn't have the problems that we have in the world today we wouldn't have the problems in this nation today of everybody, of all the dissension and the name-calling and the accusations against each other. That's why the greatest thing that can happen for our nation is for believers to get out there and witness and share the gospel, no matter how hard it might be in this nation for people to receive it. doesn't matter. You just go do your job. If they get born again, they now get filled with the Spirit. They now start walking in the fruit. And you just add one more person into the mix who's not now acting like a heathen full of hatred and division. If our nation was really one nation under God and everyone was submitted and yielded to the Holy Spirit, it'd be awesome. But it's not that way. And it's, that's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Division came. People sinned. And now we got a nation that's running roughshod full of hatred, full of division, full of name-calling. Man, this nation needs the fruit of the Spirit. People who walk in the fruit of the Spirit, who live by the Spirit of God. Proverbs 12.22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are His delight. That's the book of wisdom. Those who deal faithfully are his delight. So in closing today, we have covered love and joy last week. We've covered peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness today. We'll close with a couple next week. One of them is going to be self-control, so hold on. <laughs> and let me close, though, today with a few questions. We said peace floods the soul when Christ rules the heart. Is Jesus, does Jesus rule your heart? Do you live in the spirit? Are you living in true peace? If you're not, it is available to you if you are truly a believer. Patience, it says, is literally long-tempered as opposed to short-tempered. It's a long holding out of the mind before it gives room to action or passion. It describes a state 
of emotional calm or quietness in the face of provocation, misfortune, or unfavorable circumstances. How have you been reacting to others? Short-tempered or have you been patient? Have you given yourself um, a holding out of the mind before you have reacted in uh, action or passion in a negative way? Are you short-tempered or patient? Then it says the Christian is to show kindness by behaving toward others as God has behaved toward him. So I simply ask you, are you acting or behaving toward others in your life as God has behaved toward you in your life? That's your example. Is the way that Jesus acted towards you and the way that God has acted towards you. Do you act in kindness that same way toward others? And lastly, we have faithfulness. In a word, this component of the fruit of the Spirit describes one's trustworthiness, loyalty, reliability, adherence, constancy, dependability, and devotedness. I ask you these, does this describe you and the way you live your life in Christ? Do people, does God see in you a life of loyalty, reliability, dependability, and devotedness? We are supposed to live our life and walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. I exhort you out there, if you're a man and woman of God, get out of your flesh, man. Get out of your flesh. Go before God. Ask for forgiveness. Get out of your flesh and start living in the Spirit. Live all out for Christ. Put the flesh away. Put on the new man you've been given and live your life that way, and you will begin to produce this fruit. Take some time this week to take a real good look at your life as a believer and ask yourself these hard questions. Am I truly walking in the fruit of the Spirit? And remember, if you've made mistakes, today is a new day. You can turn it all around and begin to live your life in Christ as a true, powerful man or woman of the Spirit. Amen? Live according to the Spirit of God. Amen? Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for, uh, I thank you for this teaching, this sermon today. God, I, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would bring this to everyone. I pray many would hear this. Many would adhere to it. Many would choose to live their lives out, all out for Christ. They would choose to live their lives as people who walk in the Spirit, who walk in faithfulness and kindness and goodness and patience and peace and love and joy. Lord God, strengthen them today. Help them today. Help all of us, God. But we make a decision in ourselves to grab a hold of these attitude fruits, this attitude of the fruit of the Spirit, each one of them, to begin to live them out so that our life can show forth the glory of God so our life can show forth what Christ can really do in someone's life. We're not who we used to be. We're new believers in Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. And I pray our lives will show that to the ones that we live around and live around, walk around and work with every single day. So we thank you for this today. Bless those who've watched this. Bless them in their learning. We give you the glory and the praise and the honor for all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. I hope this has been a blessing to you. We're going to finish this up next week. Ask yourself these questions this week. Be real with yourself and make a decision. You're going to be someone who lives your life in the Spirit of God. Amen. God bless you.